guys. Welcome to episode 81 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief of Bamble.com. And I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner-in-chief editor of Shakefire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney of LastOneToLeadTheTheater.com and ATLCW.TV. We're back this week. We were off last week for Thanksgiving, which was... Um, I was still working the whole time. I was actually live tweeting for Gilmore Girls, part of part of that. So that was that was pretty fun. I was working an overnight shift, so that's less fun. I was I was doing some sleeping, <laughs> catching up on some sleep, and then eventually getting sick. Yeah, so. it's uh, it's that time of year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it was. It was right after the uh, the Six Flags thing. Oh yeah, we did too. Six Flags too. Um, yeah. I completely forgot Which about that. We can talk about. We can talk about that. Um, so I wasn't aware that Six Flags actually opened um, this time of year um, at night for kind of holiday festivities. I think they have like 19 rides open. Um, How long have they been doing this? Because I mean, like, quite last a while. Time, like last time I remember actually going to Six Flags. Which has probably been like maybe a decade. Yeah, <laughs> even same then, for me. like they clo- they basically closed after their Halloween event. Yeah, that's what I always remember too, and I I don't have it in front of me. Um, apparently it's not a new thing. Apparently they've done it before, yeah. but um, they had us. No, it's been it's been going on for quite a while because we we air the commercials every year for it. Over a decade. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is actually. Um, it's a really cool time of year to go i mean they they really deck it out in like christmas gear holiday gear um there's music playing it's not nine thousand degrees outside it's you know pretty comfortable for the most part and some nights it can get cool but um it's kind of a A lot of lights and stuff yeah a lot of lights it's a fun it's a fun um like family outing really um they had s'mores set up and we got to do that and the, the s'mores. You you can't just browse over. They had s'mores set up. Oh my god, the s'mores. That was that was the best part of the whole evening. The s'mores were pretty amazing. Because, um, because it's not just s'mores. It's they have fire pits set up so you can roast your own s'mores. Yep, yep. It was pretty ideal. Um, I ate a bit of my hair that night because it was a little bit of a challenge with the s'mores for me. Like the marshmallows they got are just massive. They were huge. Oh my god! Like, I've <laughs> never seen marshmallows that big before. No, I haven't either. They were delicious though, and we got to ride a couple of rides. Um, we did uh, Batman and Superman and the Scorcher, and did we do another one? Oh, we did. We did that one. We did the the Monster Mansion. The Monster Monster <laughs> Mansion. I can't remember why we did that. Was that you or Carrie that wanted? I think it might have been. It was both of us. It was both of us. (laughs) Well, no, no. Okay, so like the Monster Mansion is like a classic ride at Six Flags. At least in my childhood, it was. (laughs) I mean, it's it's basically a small world at Six Flags. Yeah, (laughs) it's basically like you know this. You know, you sit in a a boat and you go through the mansion where there are monsters and you know animatronics and stuff like that and they sing and dance and try to scare you and like you know for for like an eight to ten year old it's great yeah and that's that's what i remember but you know going back as a 30 year old you're like why am i here why am i doing this? (laughs) it's like let's get onto the roller coasters yeah Um, but like and another thing is like you know we were there at night in the winter or fall i guess it is still yeah. I don't know what it is. It's and still like, fall. <laughs> I 
I have memories of going, okay, we got to go on the monster plantation because it is so hot outside. You've been walking around all day. And that's one of the few rides where you can like just go and it's very cool in there because it's all dark. And you're just sitting, relaxing for a couple, five minutes or so while it's cool. And right. so it was a nice little getaway ride. Right. Well, it's it's open if anyone wants to experience it in the <laughs> holiday season. Um, but it was, a, it was a really fun outing. I'm glad they, they had us out for that. Um, yeah. I feel like it's been, there's been a fair amount of holiday events um, since since our last podcast. Uh, Pond City Market had a holiday party, which was their, um, I think it was called their Nobby or Nice Party. And we they had a couple of the, the ladies from the Claremont, um, including yeah. Blondie, because um, the Claremont is back open again. And for those listeners that are not based in Atlanta, Claremont is a, a special place in our city. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, and my dog just found her chew toy. So there's that. Um, um, but Claremont, I, what's the best way to describe the Claremont? It's a strip club. It's a dive bar. It's a dive bar strip club. And it's a dive bar with stripping. Yeah. It's, it's where strippers go to die is like the famous tagline you always hear. Yeah, well, um, I like to be more positive than that and say it's where they go to live. <laughs> but um, yeah. Blondie is, I think she's in her late 60s now. Um, and she's been at the Claremont for uh, it's probably as long as the Claremont's been there. Yeah. Um, but she was at the event and they had um, the Grinch, which is kind of Pont City Markets, like um, really big draw during the, the winter is that we have the Grinch here. So you can come and take your pictures with the Grinch like you'd be taking your pictures with Santa. Um, so it was a fun little party and the Mercury, um, did the drinks for it and they had a DJ, um, from MJQ and it was, it was a fun night. And then, um, actually last night I got to go to the media preview for, uh, Miracle on Monroe, which is our little holiday pop-up bar. This is the second year they've done it and it's right next to Landmark Theater in Midtown. Um, they take over, um, it's Tapa Tapa, um, during the basically from Black Friday through Christmas Eve for this holiday pop-up bar. And it's just, it's so much fun because it's just so much, uh, so much Christmas packed into one little place. Um, there's like Christmas trees hanging from the ceiling. There's lights. Everything is wrapped. Like the part of the bar is like, you know, wrapped in wrapping paper. And it's just, it's visual overload. Um, flashing lights, snowflakes, tinsel, like you name it. Um, and they have all of these really amazing cocktails that have really fun names. Um, a lot of them inspired from, uh, some of the, the best Christmas movies. Like there's, um, uh, shoot your, what is it? Shoot your rye out from, yeah. yeah, Which is a, a whiskey based drink from Christmas story. That was one of my favorite. And they did a, uh, snowballed old fashioned, which was also really good. Um, but anyways, if you want to check that out, there's actually two locations this year. There is Miracle 2, which is at the shops at Buckhead, which is the new one. And of course, Miracle and Monroe is back in the same location as last year. And it's, uh, it's kind of, you can hop right off the Beltline and go, and it's super close to Piedmont Park. So it's, it's a great location, but it is very cozy. So the wait gets a little insane. And, uh, if you, it, it's open Wednesday through Sunday, it opens at five on those days. So get there at five. Otherwise you'll be looking at possibly a two to three hour wait. If you can even get in, um, if you go later in the evening, cause it is just so popular. 
but this is something that actually started in New York um, back in 2014. Uh, it's just called Miracle. And they do it all across the country now. So um, there's all these different cities that do this holiday pop-up um, Miracle Bar. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely a fun holiday themed thing that you can check out. Cool. I assume they have the Christmas music playing. Of course. Yeah. And they actually, um, they have a bunch of. Uh, do they? But do they have the Muppets Christmas Carol record? <laughs> hmm? I've got to break out my vinyl of that from last year. Totally going to do it. Um, no, they didn't have that playing, but they do um, several nights. I'm not sure which nights. I think you can look up on, on Facebook or on their website. They have special events some nights. So they'll do movie screenings of Christmas films. They'll do ugly sweater contests and just kind of various fun holiday events. So... They don't have The Muppet Christmas Carol as one of their films, but maybe I'll send that in as a suggestion for next year. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was really cool. And that is now open through um, Christmas Eve. And I think that's mostly everything that we have done in the last two weeks since our last podcast. Um, yeah. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Matt, for for an interview you did fairly recently, right? Yeah, yeah. Over the break, um, I got to interview Ryan Sands, who is he's in Marvel's Runaways, which is the new Hulu exclusive show. Um, Basically, it takes place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's basically, you know, parents, uh, the parents have this cult called the pride and um sans he plays jeffrey wilder who's basically the leader of this cult and their kids uh accidentally stumble upon you know one of their rituals and they run away and so it's this you know parents against their children dynamic kind of thing and all the kids have various superpowers and so you know basically i got to interview him and talk to him about you know his role as being this leader and being a father at the same time. And so, you know, he talks about that varying dynamic he has to have of being a bad guy and a father. And then, um, you know, one of the, there's also another character called old lace who is a, a genetically engineered dinosaur. So, um, I don't know if you, you have, if you've seen any of the trailers, um, she's not in it. So it might come as a little surprise to to people, but um, it's cool because they actually used a fully animatronic puppet instead of just you know something that's pure CGI or whatever for it. Cool. So and he talks a little about a little bit about working working with the puppet and stuff. So uh, so yeah, here is my interview with Ryan Sands. So um, tell me, what was it like for you when you signed up for something as big as you know a Marvel project? You know, this is something that everybody basically wants to be, you know, be a superhero, be a supervillain. You know, what was it like for you when you signed up for this? Uh, well, yeah, everyone wanted to do it. But I don't know if uh, anyone kind of wanted it more than me. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a big, I'm a big nerd, man. So this was an uh, incredible, uh, incredible opportunity um, that I didn't see coming. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, I didn't know initially what it was uh, because they don't really give you a lot of details with the first um, audition notice. But uh, once I kind of looked at the characters, I knew what, I knew what it was. Uh, like, wait a minute, I think this is Jeffrey. Uh, this is this is 
runaways. And uh, <laughs> as soon as I, uh, you know, got a refresher course, I was just like even more excited. So, being both you know a villain, and then you're also a father of one of the one of the kids, one of the good guys. So that yeah. makes for a very complex character. So, what kind of approach did you take when um, with Jeffrey? You know that aspect is the most interesting um, aspect of the character for me, and it's the most fun to to play with because um, Jeffrey. You know, he wasn't really portrayed like that as much in the in the comic. Uh, we didn't really get um, a lot of, of who the Pride were, and it's kind of hard to, um, you know, get all of that stuff in uh, 22 pages. But um, uh, I really expected Jeffrey to kind of just, just to be this bad guy that is um, stabbing teenage girls before you know it, you know? And it's just like I, I was kind of expecting this really bad, uh, harsh, um, guy and uh but what i got is a um a guy who loves his family a guy who loves his son a guy who wants to shield his son from from the things that that he's doing um so it it allows it allowed me to approach jeffrey from a real place um and uh so i really think that's the most it was unexpected but but very interesting because uh, i think we all had to make sacrifices for people that we love uh, no pun intended with the sacrifice but um, <laughs> uh, we all had to you know had to do things for people we love whether we wanted to um, you know sometimes we didn't want to do those things um, but love requires certain things of you and um, so in this instance um, Jeffrey got himself into something that he can't really get himself out of at this late date but uh, for him the safety of his family is is uh, always present in his, in his mind. Mm. So, you know, villains always, you know, villains never see themselves as villains. They always see themselves right. as their good guy in their own eyes. So, like, how are you justifying, you know, basically going after your own son and his friends? Well, really, it's it's to... I think, you know, when, when we're going after him, like, my concern is, is well, Jeffrey's concern is keeping Alex safe. Um keeping Alex out of trouble um, that is that's why he's chasing his son basically that's why he, he wants you know the other kids uh, you, know, <laughs> you know not so much but Alex Wilder has to be safe um, Jeffrey knows of the, the consequences of, of uh, making certain people angry and uh, he doesn't want Alex to be in, in those crosshairs so um, you know really it's not um, you know, it's not your your traditional kind of bad guy going after the good guy. This is the father trying to protect his son, and the only way to protect his son is if he gets him back home where he can watch him, where he can protect him, where he can keep him safe. Mm. So, you know, for those people who aren't familiar with the series, there's actually a, a genetically engineered dinosaur featured as one of the characters yeah. um did you get to share any scenes with it and if so what was that like on set uh we did um yeah yeah we did not not very much um but uh yeah it was it was cool being on set with the old lace um <laughs> not initially though um uh, the first time i met old lace uh she was just kind of um sitting somewhere, you know, and, and in the, in the dark. And I was 
know, rehearsing uh, my, the, my, my lines in my head, you know, trying to work some things out of my movement, and I just wasn't really paying attention. And I wandered close to where old lace was, and uh, I just saw out, out of the corner of my eye, and the light just hit, hit her eyes, and it just, it really freaked me out for a second before I realized, like, what that was over there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the um, the the puppeteers and uh, what the uh, what the digital um, uh, visual effects artists are doing is really incredible. Um, it's it's really crazy um, how good she looks. And uh, I mean, we're at a we're at a time where where technology is just really allowing our imaginations to kind of you know come to life. Anything we imagine, man, we could we could see it at this point on TV, not just in the movies, but Despite not having, you know, abilities himself, Jeffrey does wield an incredible amount of power. You know, he's the leader of the Pride. Um, what can fans expect from him this season? Well, I, I think they can. Um, well, they can expect to be kind of uh, uh, surprised at, at uh, this take on on Jeffrey um, uh, again, which is a little more uh, nuanced than what they might be used to. But. Um, I think they can they can expect to see this guy this this leader um, this guy who is um, fearless uh, to a to a point um, he's strong but he's also uh, a very loving father and a very loving husband a very supportive husband to his very strong wife um, so yeah I think I think they'll be able to um, identify with some of Jeffrey's struggles and and uh, um, have fun kind of seeing him work his way through it. Awesome. Well, appreciate the time. you taking the time to talk to me about man. this. Um, looking forward to checking it out when it releases this week. And there you have it. Um, like I said before, it's it's streaming on Hulu. Um, I believe it's, it's 10 episodes long. Um, I think like either the first four or so have already been released. Okay. So, you know, there's some, some catching up you can do. Kind of. And it's, it's yeah. I wonder what's going to, I mean, I think we briefly talked about this before. It's like Marvel's got, is in so many places right now. And now that Disney owns them, like what's going to happen to like series like this or, you know, the series on Netflix or what's going to happen when Disney's platform launches? Well, I think they've already said for the Netflix stuff, like that's all still going to remain with Netflix. Like everything they've already announced and have already like, you know, done production with like it's staying Gotcha. With Netflix. So, Those are like Netflix originals and they'll remain Netflix originals. Like you're not going to see Daredevil on Marvel's or on, on Disney streaming. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. Well, uh, nicely, yeah. nicely Just done, Matt. Another, another Marvel series to, to watch. So many. <laughs> there are so many. Like I'm, I'm still finishing The Punisher. I, I, which has been really good. I really want to watch Punisher, um, but because of my darling little puppy, I've been falling asleep at like eight o'clock every night, and so Doug will start watching it, and then I'm asleep like five minutes into it just because I'm off puppy duty. So, and, <laughs> um, and we really right now don't have time to watch any television because we got to watch movies. Yeah, yeah. We've had so many screeners coming in because it's, uh, it's next week. We're actually voting. Yep. So yeah, for for Atlanta, 
the Atlanta Film Critics Circle. It's award season. It is. It's a fun time of year. Um, well, that's yeah. kind of a perfect transition into our next topic of conversation, which is the box office from uh, Thanksgiving weekend, which I don't think it's really any surprise that Coco came in first. Um, it grossed uh, 50 million in its opening weekend, followed by Justice League in second at 41 million, and Wonder in third uh, with 22 million. Fourth was Thor, and fifth was Daddy's Home 2. So any surprises there for you guys, or was that kind of kind of what you expected? Solid debut for uh, Wonder, I will say. Yeah. You know, I expected Coco to Coco and Justice League to do one and two. But um Wonder. Yeah, that was that was nice to see. Yeah, and actually, um, because Coco opened uh Wednesday night, the night before Thanksgiving, actually uh, if you count uh, uh Wednesday, Thursday also in the in that gross, it actually did seventy two million, almost seventy three million. Right. Um so it's a it's a very impressive uh debut for a film that's already doing really well in other other places in mexico it's it was the number one film for a long time um there is one other big thing that happened in in the box office is there is a film an independent film coming out soon called call me by your name the biggest name in it is army hammer um it played at four theaters in two in new york and two in la and those four theaters did a combined $412,000 for just four theaters, averaging $103,000 at each theater, which is just amazing. Because like even Coco that did so well, now it was at 3,900 theaters, but it averaged 12,000. So that's a a new record. I think I remember. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it is a new record. Um, and this this film is getting a lot of buzz. Um, it's already showing up on some critic awards, um, and uh, it's it's so it's this film, especially if you're a fan of independent films, a film to you keep your eye on. Do we have a release date yet for that for the national market? I well, it's coming um, out this year. I think it's January for Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. And, um, December for you know. Well, New it's York already and out. LA In, and... New York and L.A. It's already out. Yeah. Um, the very limited run. Um, um, I'm sure they're going to going to expand in New York and LA. So since it's doing so well, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, so, what about for this upcoming weekend? Do you guys have any predictions of what you how you think things are going to go? I don't even know what's coming out. Well, there, there's <laughs> actually it's, well. Here's the deal: is that there aren't any new major releases. Um, so Coco will be number one again. And my guess, this is probably going to do like 25 mil. Um, and I think probably, I think it'll be basically the same thing. We just saw this last weekend where it'll be Coco, Justice League, uh, Wonder and Thor, um, all coming in, um, with Coco, I think around 25 mil. Um, but there are no, no major releases this weekend. It's a really strange weekend. Um, there are three films releasing, uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, on today, on Friday, um, uh, in the Atlanta market, but they're all smaller films. Right. Well, um, we do have films coming out the next week, so we'll have, I think that'll be a, an interesting box office week for, for next go around. Um, well, on that note, let's, uh, let's hop into our movie reviews for this week. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about Coco just because, 
um, A, you guys have seen it, and B, it did so well, and it's uh, probably going to win a bunch of animation awards for for this season. Uh, so one of you guys want to set that one up for us? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one jump at it now. Just, like, calm yourselves. Um, yeah. So Coco, basically, you know, it... Um, it takes place in Mexico and it revolves around this, I think he's 12 year old. He's a 12 year old kid. His name's Miguel. And basically, you know, his, his whole family has basically banned music from their lives because uh, Miguel's great grandfather, I believe, um, basically ran off to start a music career. And so they've basically like said, forget about him, you know, no more music anymore. We're going to focus on family. And, but that hasn't stopped Miguel. He, he finds this love for music and it revolves the, the film revolves around the day of the dead, which is, you know, this uh, Mexican holiday where families go to their loved one's graves and basically, you know, they celebrate their lives and remember them. Um, and so they do this every year. And on this particular or basically Miguel, you know, his love of music, he eventually grabs um, his grandfather's guitar and somehow that transports him to the, the land of the dead. And so he is now stuck in this land of the dead um, with a bunch of skeletons and crazy things happening. And so he's trying to figure out a way to get back to the land of the living. And, you know, he meets up with his dead family members and stuff like that. It's a really interesting and really fascinating world that, uh, that Pixar creates for this movie. And, um, yeah, it's great. Cool. Um, well, let's dive straight on into it. Um, on a scale of one to five, how bored were you guys during this one? I wasn't bored at all. Yeah, um, ne- negative five. Negative five. Wow, that's uh, that's as far as you've ever gone with it, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving it a zero. I mean, it's just the level, the amount of detail in this film is amazing. Like, you know, it's Pixar to begin with. So, you know, like they're going to put all the little attention to detail as they can into this. And like when Miguel first goes to the Land of the Dead, like, and you see this huge uh wide landscape visual of just the the various houses and all the colors there it's just it's absolutely gorgeous and so the entire film is basically like that and and uh the the attention to detail is like miguel plays a guitar the um the character the animated characters is actually doing the chords that of the music so he's doing the fingering on the on the guitar neck of the correct chords. They that's how detailed they were. It took six years for this film to be completed. It's the longest production schedule in Pixar history. Wow. How do you feel um, it compared to the other Pixar movies? I mean, they do such a great job at tugging at heartstrings and making you laugh and cry. Do you feel like it's um, like what what other movies emotionally? I guess would you compare it to? Like was it? The caliber it's, of would, Up, Toy Story, like where would you place yeah. it? No, I'd put it yeah, up there with Up and Toy Story too. Yep. You know, let's put it let's, let's put it this way: at at the screening I was at, uh, a young girl, probably seven or eight, um, at this one point, would it look like Miguel wasn't going to make it back to the land of the living? 
um, she started crying. I mean, literally bawling. Hmm. Um, and and uh, so it, yeah, it's it's a moving picture. It really is. It's it's it, the storyline is incredibly well done. Uh, the music is really good. Um, and what the thing since I lived in in Mexico um, when I was growing up. And um, in fact, the, the the city that the Land of the Dead is based on is a city that I visited. Uh, I would say probably 20, 30 times is the city of Guanajuato, and um, it, I just love how the, this film has a respect and a love for the Mexican culture um, that very often Hollywood misses on. Um, they really, really tried to find the essence of Mexico and find the essence of this this uh, this celebration in the Day of the Dead uh, celebration. Well, it's also um, I know we briefly touched on this on the uh, the box office report, um, but it actually it opened in Mexico three and a half weeks before it opened here, and it surpassed the Avengers as the country's highest grossing film. So that's pretty pretty impressive that it's being embraced yeah. like that there as well. Yeah, and they've and they've done some really cool stuff in that there's there there's uh, when he goes to the land of the dead. There's a whole bunch of Mexican celebrities, people like the wrestler Santo or the artist Frida Kahlo or uh, the legendary actor uh, Cantinflas. They're all in this film. So I, I can imagine I can't I can't really imagine how thrilled the Mexican audiences must be to, to see this movie that actually represents their country, but was made you know in America. Right. It's pretty awesome, I'll say. <laughs> and, on behalf of the Mexican audiences, yes, it is pretty awesome. <laughs> and there's also, um, I mean, every Pixar film and every Disney film, for that fact, um, has all these kind of little Easter eggs in it um, from other films. And um, this one's no exception. I'm reading about some of them here where you can, when Miguel's walking down the streets at the beginning of the film, you can actually spot pinatas of some of the other Pixar characters like uh, Buzz Lightyear and Woody, uh, which is, is pretty cool. Yeah. And the uh the what's it the Planet Express truck makes an appearance too. Yep. As it has pizza. in all the other pizza. Pixel, the pizza. Pizza Planet. Pizza Planet. That's pizza what it planet. is. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. That's just I don't know, that's really cool. Did you guys pick up on any of that when you were watching it or was it something um, that I remember seeing a a Nemo um basically I, I think I think it was on the there's a table of alabrijes which are like these um basically spirit guides mm-hmm. and they make little, you know, little models of them kind of thing. And there's a whole table at the beginning that, you know, Miguel goes by and I think Nemo, there's one, there's a little one of Nemo on it, oh, that's awesome. which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, going back to our review, since I got us on the tangent, um, <laughs> what did you, did you, I assume you guys probably weren't rolling your eyes at all on this one. Doesn't really sound like there's anything to be annoyed no. by. So no. zeros. Yeah. Yeah, zeros. Um, so what about best and worst performance, which is always a, a fun thing to do in an animated film? <laughs> Whose voice did you like best? Um, I mean, I just liked Gael Garcia Bernal's character. He plays a Hector who's kind of like this trickster, trickster skeleton guy who is trying to sneak his way into the land of the living. And, you know, he kind of attaches to Miguel to kind of get him through. And he's basically there for the whole the whole film. So, like, I, I really liked him and his performance. 
I thought the kid was was really good, especially uh, his singing voice is excellent, and um, he especially does the uh, ranchera style of, of Mexican music really well. Um, Anthony uh, Gonzalez is his name. Cool. Um, well, obviously, it's an animated film, and it's based in Mexico, so there's no Atlanta recognition factor. No So, overall, on a scale of one to five, what would you guys give this one? I mean, I'm giving it a full atlas. Um, I loved every minute of this movie. Um, it's definitely taking my best, my vote for the best animated feature this year. So, so yeah, I'm giving it a five, full atlas. I'm giving it a five also. Um, it's not going to get my vote for best animated film, although it probably will win um, our critic circle. Uh, in that, in fact, there's a animated film that I fell in love with called Loving Vincent that not a lot of people have seen, but um, I that that's a much better, but very different film than this Pixar film. But it's still a wonderful film, and I would I would pay to see it again. How dare you, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to ask too about, um, of course, with every Pixar film, you have you know the short film that leads into it, and with this one, you yeah, had Olaf's Frozen Adventure. Um, fun. It's a see, crap. Oh, see, I okay. liked it. I liked it. <laughs> you know, it was it, boring. The songs were horrible. The, I mean, Olaf just grates on you after a while because he has so much screen time in this one. Um, and it's and it's 22 minutes long. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was actually reading that um, it received numerous uh, complaints from moviegoers in Mexico for it being so long. And there were so many complaints that two of the largest movie theater chains in the country opted to stop showing um, that before the, the film uh, just a week after opening day. So I guess a lot of people were kind of annoyed by it. Yeah, I, I mean, it. some of my, I thought some, it was great. Well, <laughs> I, some of my, but it's not a typical Pixar short. That's the problem. It felt like a way for Disney to sell more frozen toys. Right. Pixar has done some amazing Academy Award winning shorts. And I mean, they've won a ton of Academy Awards on their shorts alone. And this one, it was incredibly disappointing. And it was it really felt like they were just trying to sell us some more frozen plush dolls and whatever. <laughs> Agree to disagree. Um, well, I think you're in the minority there, Matt. <laughs> um, Been here my whole life. Random, uh, random fun fact for you guys. Um, if you're happen to be traveling to Brazil, this film is actually called Viva there because the original title of Coco can be easily mistaken for a Portuguese word that translates to a curse word. So um, it's got a different name in Brazil. (laughs) Um, Well, moving right along into our next review, um, I think just Mike has seen this one. Is that correct, Thelma? Yeah, I have not. Well, tell us about Thelma, Mike. All right, so Thelma, which is opening up, uh, is is already here um, as you hear this podcast. Uh, It's playing at Landmark uh, Midtown Art. Um, is a Norwegian film. In fact, it's uh, Norway's entry for the foreign language Oscar. Um, and uh, Thelma is a Norwegian student with a religious background, and she moves to Oslo to go to university. And um, along the way, um, she meets and starts to fall in love with another young woman. But uh, things start happening that are just a little strange. Um out of the blue, uh, Thelma, a lot of times when she's feeling very strong emotion, um, will 
have an epileptic-like seizure. Um, when she has these seizures, she, she goes into an alternate world, um, which we see along with her. Um, and um, there's, there's very little warning when she's getting these seizures other than her, her, one of her hands starts shaking uncontroll, uncontrollably. Um, this film, it reminded me a lot of um, uh, Melancholia in yeah. its imagery. Um, it, when she has these, these seizures, um, there are images of her, uh, like a, a snake coming up the side of a building and going into her, her apartment and then going into her bed and then wrapping around her neck. Um, there's, there's all these different type of images. There's a lot of images with water. Um, uh, she, she swims a lot, but there are times when she's having these seizures that she feels like she's floating in water. Um, and I don't want to give anything away, but these seizures lead to some mysterious power outages. And when the mysterious power outages happen, bad things happen. And so you're dealing with you're dealing with a film that deals with um, first off uh, her parents are very religious and um, call her on a daily basis and always worried about her and um, so it deals with religion it deals with faith it also deals with um, parental respect and then it finally deals with uh, you know almost a she she because of religion because of her parents. Um, she gets very guilty over some of the things she does, including falling in love with this, this other woman. Uh, the cinematography is just stunning. Um, and um, the actress who is Norway, so I'm going to screw up the name, but Eli Harbo, uh, she just gives a great performance. It's moving, you know, and, and, it's, and it's her performance is all over the place because, um, you know, she's, showing the excitement of a new romance. And the other times there's really extreme gloom and dread. Um, and it, she's just wonderful in the film. Cool. Um, well, that was a pretty... You kind <laughs> Sounds of, like you gave your whole review. Yeah, I was like, you kind of walked yourself through the Atlas review there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I take it it wasn't filmed in Atlanta, right? Uh, no, it was not filmed in Atlanta. It was filmed in Oslo. Um, so on a scale of, uh, a one to five, what would you, what would you give this one? I would give it a five. It was that good. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, this is going to be, I mean, I've got a couple other films to watch, but this is one of my front runners for, for, uh, the foreign language, um, Academy Award. Um, it's, it's an, just an amazing movie. It's beautiful. It's, it's strange. Um, you're constantly questioning what you're seeing on the screen, whether it's real or whether it's imagined by Thelma. Um, and um, it's just a, and it, it's not a, it, it's funny because um, there, there, um, there's some scenes that become tense very quickly and they kind of sneak up on you. So it, it, they hit you pretty hard when it happens because sometimes you're not expecting. And uh, it's also a bit of a mystery um, because, you want to know why she has these powers, and um, she starts finding out stuff about her life um, that she didn't know that her parents have ha- had kept things from her. So, I, I, I just fell in love with this movie. Cool. Um, and do you want to give a kind of a brief description of uh, the other film we were talking about earlier? Uh, was it Breadwinner? Breadwinner, right? 
Yeah, yeah, The Breadwinner, that's uh, an animated film, which I highly enjoyed. Um, it's about a young girl who is living in Afghanistan in the early 2000s. Um, uh, and they have just been there. Her town has just been taken over by the Taliban. And her father is in justly prison. Um, she cuts her hair and disguises herself as a boy in order to, to make it around the town. Um, women are not allowed to go to marketplace or to, to get water or anything else in this town by the Taliban unless they're accompanied by a brother or a husband. And so she has to um, figure out how to provide for her family. And also, she's also trying to get in touch with her father who's in prison. All the while, uh, there's actually two parts of this film. The second part is that she tells a story to her um, younger brother. And the story is about a boy who whose uh, village is attacked by magical beast and they steal all this all the seeds for the uh for the spring plantation and so he travels a great distance and with great uh danger to um to get the seeds back so she's telling a quest movie while she's also on a quest it's pretty cool yeah and the animation is just gorgeous it's just beautiful and the 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 when she's telling this the 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 tale of the boy uh, the animation kind of changes into more of a mosaic like um, like uh, a type of animation. Um, so it's just a beautiful film to watch and and really good. Is that one out in Atlanta or is it do we it is out it, yes, you know it's out in Atlanta and I know that it's it's uh, it's uh, playing in a lot of different cities. Um, they're doing they're starting to to open up um, in other cities also. So it is at, it's at Atlanta and it's also at landmark. Um, Midtown Art. So go have a drink at the, the Christmas pop-up place <laughs> and then go see either Thelma or the Breadwinner. Yeah, that's definitely um, go go to Miracle on Monroe first, because if you wait until after the movie, uh, you'll have a very long wait to get in. Um, well, cool. Um, well, that's, that's all we have for this week. Uh, we do have some cool things coming up next week. I'm headed back out to LA to do an event um, with uh, Kia and Harmon Carden. And so I'll have some cool things to talk about with that, hopefully next week. And um, we're also going to be reviewing the disaster artist, which uh, Matt and I saw a couple of weeks ago. And I, I think we can, I don't know if we're under embargo or not, but I'll just say that I loved it. It was really good. Yeah. Really, really good. Dude, it's great. Much better than the room. <laughs> but I think it gives you a whole new appreciation for the room. Like, being able to... I don't know if it gives you... It gives you a bigger... I don't know what it does. You know, it <laughs> makes you... It makes you question who this Tommy Wiseau guy is and, like, how in the world he did all this and just... It's it's more questions than answers. I still don't, and I haven't fully researched it. Um, but of course, at the you know at the end of of the film, they kind of talk about how you know still no one really knows who this dude is, like where he came from yeah. or where his money came from. And I'm like, how is that? How is that possible? Like, how is there like no? This guy's just a mystery, which makes the movie exactly. and the room all all the better. Um, yeah, because no one understands. <laughs> but um, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week, and we'll we'll have some other uh, fun, cool stuff for you guys too. So, 
Um, again, this is the Atlas podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Um, like us on um, all the places you can like us. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes. Um, rank us, rank us highly. Leave us a comment. Say hi. <laughs> um, my name is Emma Loggins, editor in chief at Fanbolt.com. I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner and chief editor of Shakefire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney. I'm last one to leave the theater.com and ATLCW.tv. And I just want to say, go to uh, Coco, but go to about 20 minutes late. <laughs> go go see Frozen Olaf Adventure. Do it. Don't listen to Mike. You'll be sorry. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>